All right, we're going to take a test, and um, let's see how well you do with this test. Look on the screen. Here is question number one. So when there's a fire drill, or there's been a fire drill in my life, I have not exited the building. How many of you have not done that? Okay. Number two, I didn't pay for parking because I was only going to be 10 minutes in Target or Publix or wherever. How many of you didn't pay for parking sometime? It's the same people. <laughs> number, number three, I didn't wear a seatbelt to, again, Publix or Starbucks. You don't wear a seatbelt. How many of you don't wear seatbelts? Uh-huh. Click it or ticket, baby. Click it or ticket. Number, number four, I routinely drive over the speed limit. Ra- ra- raise them high. Raise them high again. This is not a very spiritual crowd. That's... And you just had communion, too, right? The next one, um, I take the dog off the leash in areas I'm not supposed to. You've raised your hand for every one of these. You have. I want to have the usher's security. Keep an eye on the next one. Here we go. I drive a boat faster than no wake in no wake zones, for those of you that are boaters. Yeah, I've, I've done that. Um, I usually gun the car when the light turns yellow. Now, raise your hands high, because I want to keep an eye on who you are. I want to know where you are at all times on the road. All right, the next one. I sneak some food uh, into a movie or a ballpark. (laughs) Gosh. I've been preaching here for 12 years, and you're still doing all these things? All right, the next one. Um, I switch my phone on before I've been told you can on the plane. How many of you take your seatbelt off before you get permission on the plane? <laughs> All right, let's look at the next one. I drive and I text. We got cameras right now taking pictures of all of you in the room. There, there is something within us that likes to break the rules. There there is something in here that likes to resist authority, likes to rebel against those things that are in front of us, right? How many of you students, or you've been a student, or you were a student, you did this when you were a kid? How many of you, you had a curfew, and your curfew was, I'll say, 11 o'clock, and you could be home at 5 till 11? But you came in at 5 after 11 just to tick your dad off. Anybody in the room do that? How about in marriage? In marriage, now I'm your holy pastor. I would never do this. But in marriage, have you ever pushed your other spouse's buttons on purpose? Deliberately? I wouldn't raise your hand on that. I I I would plead the fifth on that one right there. And, and, and so we, we know that. And we know like whenever the neighborhood passes like a new covenant, we're going to sign a petition or, or at work, you know, when there's a new policy, who thought that was a good idea? And there's just something in here that says, uh-uh, no, I don't think so. I'm not going with the flow on that. And unfortunately, we begin to do that even with, with God. And so there's this resistance and rebellion to our Creator who has our best interests in mind. Think about Eve and Adam. Eve was deceived, 
And Adam wasn't deceived. Adam did it willingly. And Adam willingly rebelled. I think the greatest example, though, would be the story of the prodigal son. The younger son says, give me my stuff, give me my inheritance, I'm going to take it. I mean, you talk about rebelling against your dad? And, and then the older brother? I think the older brother was worse. The older brother's heart was like flint. And, and they were trying to pull, you know, the, young, the older brother in the house and trying to get everybody to come in, have a party. And let's, let's, he wouldn't do it, would he? He just simply wouldn't do it. Now, why? Because we have a sin nature. We have a sin nature. In fact, the Bible would teach that all of us have sinned, and we've all fallen short of, of God's glory. You know, what, you know what really happened? There's something broken in every single one of us. There's something broken in here. Over the weekend, uh, Christina from The Voice, 2014 on The Voice, gets shot by a guy here in St. Petersburg. And, and killed. It was her concert. And the guy shoots her in front of all these people. You say, well, how, how does that happen? How does somebody get that broken? And then we look in the scriptures and we see that Moses had a temper and Moses got all fired up and he kills an Egyptian. And we know that David commits adultery and murder. And so, so we begin to look at the heart of, of Abraham. And Abraham's lying about his wife. It wasn't really his sister, half-sister, but he lied to protect his interests so that he, his life could be spared. And we look at those hearts. And then I begin to think about my heart. And I begin to think about your heart. And I know we can have some fun with those things on the screen, except the texting and driving, okay? That's not fun. But we can have some fun with that. But, but really, all of us in this room, we know deep in our hearts that something's not right in here. Something in here has gone terribly foul. I got a Christmas card a few years ago that I really liked, and it was talking about that if God did this, then God would do this. And the Christmas card went like this. It said, if our greatest need would have been for money, then God would have sent us an economist. And if our greatest need would have been for fun, then God would have sent us an entertainer. And if our greatest need would have been, you know, for inventions, then God would have sent us a scientist. And it had this whole list of things, really great list. And then it said this, but God knew that our greatest need was for forgiveness. And so God sent us a Savior. And that's what happened. Sin entered the world, and God knew that for you and I, because we're broken, for you and I to get right with him again and to get right with ourselves, he would have to fix it. And so God then begins to send priests, and he begins to send prophets, and he begins to pour out judges. And finally, God sends his son. He sent his son, Jesus, who would be the Savior, the Messiah, who would save us from our sins. And so now there's this new covenant. There's this new way to God. And this new way to God was going to bring about a game changer. And this new way to God, when Jesus left, he was going to give us his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was going to be the MVP. The Holy Spirit would become the game changer. And the Holy Spirit would change everything in everybody's life who yielded to it. And listen carefully. If you're a Christian, you get the unconditional love of God. But your usefulness to the kingdom of God is directly linked to your yieldedness. Everybody who's a Christian gets the unconditional love of God, but your usefulness 
to the kingdom of God is directly linked to your yieldedness. And so the Holy Spirit comes, and that's why we believe that we can make a difference, because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came, and we believe that He would work in the church, and the church is the hope of the world when it's working right. And we believe that because the Spirit came, we are now unhindered. There are no limits to the great things that God can do in us and through us and among us. So let me add a fourth one to this list. Here's the fourth one. We believe that the, put it up here if you would, the Spirit of God leads you to the Son of God, which will move you to Father God. Let me say this again. We are absolutely convinced that before you become a Christian, the Spirit of God is at work in your life, in your context, in your culture. This is great news. Because if you're not a Christian today, and you're here today, you're going, I wonder why I'm here today. It's because the Spirit of God's going ding, 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 tug, 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 tug. The Spirit of God is at work in your heart, in your life, in your mind. It's also great news for us because we care about maybe our parents who aren't believers, or we care about a coworker, or we care about a sibling. We care about somebody else in our lives. And so the Spirit of God leads you to the Son of God. Now, why is that important? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, salvation is found in no other name. And so this person of Jesus, this Son of God, is so important that when you accept the Son of God, the Father God is moved. And the Father God now, this is my son, this is my daughter, I am well pleased. The Father God now sees the blood of his son dripping all over you and all over me. So how does this all work? And what if I'm not a Christian? Or how do I help my brother become a Christian? I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned about that. Well, let me ask you this question. Where in the Bible do you see people becoming Christians? I remember asking myself that question after I've been preaching for about 10 years in Memphis. So in 10, I've already been a preacher for 10 years, and I'm going, maybe that's why you're still running red lights, because I'm still your preacher here too. But anyway, I, I asked myself this question. I'm going, where do people become Christians? Is it in the book of Revelation? No. Is it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? No. They got the thief on the cross, but that was kind of an anomaly. Is it in Galatians or Ephesians or Philippians or Colossians? Where in the Bible do people become Christians? And I realized then it's in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, God gives us nine snapshots of groups, individuals, households. He gives us nine different examples of where people actually give their life to Christ. Now, this is what's fascinating about this. Though everybody doesn't quite agree on every little point, Catholics would think this, and Southern Baptists would think this, and Pentecostals might think this, and Anglicans might think this, and Methodists might think this. Even though not everybody agrees on the finer points, they all agree on what's in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts all has this pattern where people start this way and they end this way. Now, if you're interested in this, we're going to do about three of these this morning. But I've listed all nine of these in our website under what we believe. I think this is fascinating. So after preaching for about 10 years, I'm going, all right, this makes a lot of sense. They all begin a certain way, and they all end a certain way. That's good enough for me. Let's look at the first one. The first one's to a group of Jewish people. 
It's in Acts chapter 2, and this is a Jewish audience. And this Jewish audience were the ones who had just nailed Jesus to the cross. This is an amazing story. Acts chapter 2 says this. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain to you, listen carefully to what I say. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate, I love that word, plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, you guys put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God, and anytime you see but God, that's where the music changes. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. This is the gospel. Right there is a clip, a picture of the gospel itself. All right, keep going if you would. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. I mean, you couldn't do anything any worse than this. You're Jewish, and you crucify the Messiah? You're in trouble. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. I don't think we quite get that word, cut to the heart. They, they were aghast. They were gasping for breath. They could not speak. They could, their emotions, they're wrung out. They're they are cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, in other words, how do we fix this? Is this fixable? Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, you repent. You change your thinking about Jesus. You turn from him, you turn to him. And you're being baptized. You're identifying. Baptism is an identification. You repent, you be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift. This is the game changer. This is plan A that wants to live inside of you. Plan C was the tent, the tabernacle out in the wilderness. Plan B was this building, this massive temple. But plan A is now a body, your body and my body. That's plan A. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you Jews, for all your children, and for all these Gentiles who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves. Why? Because you're broken. Save yourselves from this broken generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. In Acts chapter 8, we have a CPA. Second example I want to show you today was a guy that was really good with numbers. He's a certified public accountant. He was in charge of all this queen's money. He was a eunuch. Let's, let's look at this story in Acts chapter 8. It says this, The Spirit told Philip, Philip was an evangelist. Philip's on our side. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard this man reading Isaiah the prophet. This guy's reading this out loud. He's not a Christian. He's not a Jew. He's trying to figure it all out. We would call him today a seeker. 
He's trying to understand. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? Well, how can I unless somebody explains it to me? So because it was probably hot, the guy had a chariot, probably had some beverages, probably had a little, you know, like an umbrella, he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. And Philip began with that very passage of Scripture in Isaiah, and he told him the good news called the gospel. He told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in my way of being baptized? And Philip said, well, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. That's why we baptize by immersion. I know some groups sprinkle, some groups pour, but this is why we do it by immersion. Then both Philip and the eunuch, they both went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. What a great story. What a great story we have there. That's the second snapshot. There's nine. I want to do one more. This is probably my favorite. This comes from the 16th chapter. And what happens here is Paul and Silas just cast a demon out of this slave girl. And this slave girl had the ability to foretell the future. And so these bad men were using this slave girl as a slave. And she had the demon in her. And Paul and Silas got tired of that. And they cast the demon out of her. And she could no longer foretell the future. And therefore, they just lost their income. So they're ticked. And they get everybody all riled up. And Paul and Silas end up in jail. Here's the story. The crowd joined the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into the prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Now, the jailer is the hero in this story. When they received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. So you got the picture? Paul and Silas have been beaten up. Uh, They're bleeding. They're now, um, their backs are wide open because they've been flogged. They're in stocks. They can't shoo off the gnats or the flies, okay? And look at what they're doing. What's in the next verse, Deb, if you would? About midnight, they're singing hymns. Now, I don't know about you, but if all that happened to me, I'm not sure I'd be singing hymns, would you? They're singing hymns. I, I hope I can get to that kind of faith someday. I hope all of us can get to that kind of faith. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. You bet the other prisoners were listening. They weren't cursing. They weren't doing all the things that prisoners do. These guys were praising God in a cell in stocks. Amazing story. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. And everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, going to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted. He shouted, don't harm yourselves. We're all here. Then he brought them out, and he asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a verse. What What do I do? You guys are different. There's nobody like you. You guys are singing to your God. I'm about to kill myself. And and Paul says this. Well, you need to believe in Jesus. I've been telling you about Jesus. I've been telling everybody in the whole town about Jesus. I've been telling everybody that Jesus is the real deal. 
you believe in Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household, they were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, and he set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. My friends, there's only three spirits. There's the evil spirit, there's the human spirit, and there's the Holy Spirit. There's only three. The evil spirit is the spirit of separation. How do you know if the evil spirit's at work? The evil spirit will always separate you from you, separate you from your core values, separate you from your spouse, separate you from your family, separate you from your future, separate you from your finances. The evil spirit is a separator. He's always a divider. The human spirit, you're human. You have a human spirit. And the human spirit can do some good things and it can do some really bad things. The human spirit can do great things and give away money and care for people and encourage people. And the human spirit can do things that are not so good. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the MVP. The Holy Spirit is the game changer. The Holy Spirit is that which is supernatural. You take the human spirit, which is natural, and you add the super to it. And all of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit's involved, you have supernatural insight. You have supernatural truth. You have supernatural ability. You have some supernatural skills. Every one of you in business, you have an unfair advantage over everybody else because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Now, every Christian... Every Christian has the unconditional love. But your usefulness is directly linked to your yieldedness. And that's how great you will ever become is how yielded you are to the Holy Spirit of God. So what happens at conversion? At conversion, your human spirit is now overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit of God. And that Holy Spirit of God now has covered you and cleanses you from all your past, present, and future sins. And you are never the same. As a believer, every time the Father God sees you, He sees the Son of Jesus all over you. And now inside of you, your human spirit's not going to win unless you yield to it. But when you yield to the Holy Spirit, you've got supernatural activity living inside of you. And so how do you become a Christian? Well, all nine of these say basically the same thing. They say to believe in God. You need to put your life, put your faith, you believe in God. Put your faith in God. They talk about repentance. And repentance is I'm going to change the way I think. I'm going to change the direction of my life. I'm going to turn from, I'm going to turn to God. You confess God. You confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, those of you that are my Catholic friends in the room, my Catholic friends always say to me, my gosh, i got to come to you before I, before I get baptized. i got to confess all my sins to you. And I will say to them, look, I know you. I haven't got two weeks to hear all your sins. you know, you got lots of sin. I don't have time for that. That's not what that's talking about. It's talking about confessing Jesus as Lord. He is Lord and Savior of my life. And then again, all nine of these begin with faith in Christ, and all nine of these end with baptism into Christ. They all end with Baptism. And so this afternoon, again, we're going to baptize a whole bunch of people out at Honeymoon Island State Park. We've paid for the parking. You go there. You celebrate with us at 6 o'clock tonight. And we're going to have a great baptism service. If you've never given your life to Christ, today is your day. 
If you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ, I encourage you to do so today. So what does it look like? Well, I want to show you what it looks like. It'll look something like this tonight. Let's look at this video. Lisa Turkhurst is the president of Proverbs 31 Ministry. And Lisa was in college, freshman year of college, and her parents had a baby girl. So there's lots of age difference between Lisa and her sister, obviously. And Lisa just loved that baby sister. And she contracted a disease. And Lisa prayed to God that God would heal her baby sister. If you'll heal my baby sister, I'll serve you all of my life. If you heal her of her disease, I promise you, there's no limit to what I will do. I will yield myself to you. And the baby sister died. And Lisa got so mad at God. I will never serve you. I will never follow you. I will never trust in you. And Lisa turned her back on God. Four or five years roll by, and um, she gets pregnant out of wedlock. And she's got this friend, this female friend who was always giving her Bible verses. And the friend would share a Bible verse and another Bible verse, and she said she was just so annoying because she just didn't want to hear it, just didn't want anything to do with the Bible. And and so she's pregnant, and the guy takes off, and and so she believed a lie from the clinic. 
And the clinic promised that it would help her take care of her little problem and everything would be fine and she would be okay. And so Lisa goes to the clinic and she has an abortion. And she comes home and she's very sad, deeply affected her. And the week goes on to two and a half weeks and she's still like in this funk and incredible depression inside of her apartment. She got the mail and threw it on the table, and then she kind of looked, and out of the corner of her eye, she sees like little hearts, you know, on this little letter, and so she pulls the letter off, and sure enough, it's from that Bible friend, and how did she know that? Because there was this Bible verse on the back of the envelope, and Lisa said, in my most desperate moment, I look at this verse. I don't understand Jeremiah 29.11. I never heard Jeremiah 29.11. But, but her friend wrote out, for I have plans to bless you and prosper you. I have plans to give you a hope and a future. If you will seek me and you will find me, you will, you will find me with all of your heart. And Lisa said, it just that verse, the power of the Holy Spirit in the Word of God, she said, that verse sent me to my knees. And she said, all I could say was, Lisa didn't know the believe, repent, confess. She didn't know the steps. She didn't theologically have it figured out. But all she knew, and all she knew what to do at that moment, that God moment in her life, all she knew what to do was she said, yes, yes, God, yes, I'll follow you, yes. And that's the only word she could get out was yes, yes, the tears They're dripping off the chin. Yes, I am yours. Yes, I will trust you. And it totally changed and totally transformed everything about her life. And Lisa said, you know, what was so interesting is that began me on this journey of saying yes to God. And she said, I like to tell you that from that moment on, it was yes, 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 yes. She said, but really it was more like Yes, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Are you kidding me? No. Okay, yes. No, no, no. Yes. Yes. Okay, yes. I think that's pretty good theology. I think that's what the Spirit of God is doing in your life. He is moving you to the Son of God. And the Son of God then will lead you to Father God. And Father God then begins to come into your life by the power of the Spirit, and you then begin to say, yes, maybe today you haven't got all this figured out doctrinally. You don't understand all this. That's okay. I'm not sure I've got it all figured out either. I just know we're to say, yes. That's what we're to do. Yes. If you've never given your life to Jesus this morning, I'm going to lead us through a prayer in just a few seconds. And it's your opportunity to say yes, because there's something broken in you. And there was something broken in me. And there's something broken in our whole culture and our generation. And so you have an opportunity to begin to heal and to begin to be changed and to begin to be transformed. So today, I want to give you that opportunity. Tonight, 
I cannot guarantee that we won't have thunderstorms. We seem to have a lot of thunderstorms at our beach baptisms. But we're going to wait it out or do it early or whatever. But at 6 o'clock, I'd get there early if I were you. But at 6 o'clock, we're going to baptize a whole bunch of people. We had 572 people just came out to Honeyman Island Beach last time just to support it all. How do I know that? Because that's how much parking we paid for. <laughs> so come tonight. But most importantly, if you've never been baptized by immersion, say yes. Go to the guest service desk. Sign up after service. Sign up. Say yes. You can still come tonight even if you don't do it this afternoon. It just helps us to be organized and helps us to get you a baptism t-shirt that'll fit. Jesus Christ laid down his life for you. And then he gave you the secret weapon, the Holy Spirit, so that you could make a difference, so that you could get involved in a church and make it healthy so that you could then live an unhindered life. Oh, that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing in your life. That's what he's doing in my life. I'm going to ask us to stand. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. And if you do give your life to Jesus this morning, would you tell one of them and let them pray again over you and for your future? But this is for those of you in the room that honestly, you've said no But today is your opportunity to say yes. Lord Jesus, we come before you. And for all these wonderful men and women and young women and young men in this room, they've come today to receive you as their Lord and Savior. We acknowledge that we're sinners. We're acknowledging that we need to be saved from ourselves and from our sins. And we acknowledge that you have the power to change and transform us. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you for giving us a hope and a future. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you.